and uh, welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism podcast. And uh, great to be with you. I'm joined by my co-host, Christy Mayer. Christy, how are you doing? Hey there, doing very well. Thanks, Andy. Yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Can't uh, can't complain. And uh, we have a great guest on uh, on the show this week. Although we're recording this during the height of coronavirus stuff and Christy's in lockdown, I'm in sort of semi-lockdown and there's not a toilet roll to be found anywhere in the entire country. Pep Talk goes on. And we are joined this week in the midst of all this uh, by Phil Knox. Phil is uh, works for the Evangelical Alliance, the EA. He's head of mission to young adults based in Birmingham. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andy and Christy. Wonderful to be with you. Great to have you on the show. Really, uh, thanks for taking the time. And Phil, there's so many things we, we, we could say. and There's so many things we could talk about over the next 20 minutes. But I'm really excited because you've got a new book out. Yeah. And um, many people have new book out, new books out. But what excites me is the title of your book, I think, sounds utterly brilliant. Story Bearer, How to Share Your Faith uh, with Your Friends. Tell us a bit about the book, but I'm particularly interested in that, in that title. Um, tell us a bit more. Thanks, Andy. So uh, the book, I've always been really passionate about a few things. Uh, You might guess even from the tone of my voice that I'm a passionate person. And uh, my first passion is stories. I've always loved stories. I remember as a a kid kind of under the duvet reading Narnia and Enid Blyton and just craving one more chapter before I went to sleep. uh, I've always loved relationships, really passionate about friendship and connection um, and just love the the connection moments with, with friends. But the thing that really drives me is a real passion for Jesus and wanting to see people come to know him. And so the book combines the dynamic between those three things. And it's called Story Bearer because I believe that loads of things happen to us when we, when we become a Christian. We become forgiven for everything we've done wrong. We enter into a relationship with God. Our, our place in heaven is secured. We know real life now and life in all its fullness forever. But also we begin to bear a story the story of God and our own story. And the book is how we begin to share that story, the story of God and our own story with the stories of many other people in our lives who don't know it yet. Nice. I was having a bit of a, a scroll through the, the book. We were sent a, Andy and I were sent a pre, like a pre, was it a preview of the of the book? And now scrolling through some of the chapter headings and they look awesome. And one of the chapters is on the power of stories, isn't it? Yeah. How how you how do you use these stories? How are you excavating the power of stories um, in evangelism with friends? Story, I, I've really looked into the kind of neurology of storyteller, uh, storytelling, and the the stories, the, the way that they impact people. Um, and when you hear a story, your brain just begins to go into overdrive with with a load of different in a load of different ways. So, for example, the reason we we're so locked in on stories is that cortisol is is produced in our brains, which makes us pay attention. Oxytocin, which is the chemical that kind of bonds mother and baby, it's the known as the cuddle chemical, um, kicks in, which is why we feel so much empathy for characters in stories. And then dopamine, which is the chemical that makes us feel really good, kicks in, which is why when we turn that last page of a book or when the credits roll at the end of a film, it feels so good. And uh, and stories are so compelling. Um, and I've, I've, I've always been compelled by the stories in the Bible. And so when Jesus was communicating the, the profound depths of the mysteries of the universe, he so often used stories. But the verse that the kind of book hangs on is that beautiful verse in 1 Peter that says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And, and so often I think what we do is we default to kind of four spiritual laws or, some, or a kind of really analytic, what I would call a left brain response. When actually, if, if we're story people, and in a world where which 
runs on stories. My challenge to us as Christians is how do we tell a story that that that, that communicates the Christian faith and our own stories mm. and what God means in our lives today? There's so much good uh, stuff in there, Phil. I mean, one of the things that strikes me as interesting immediately is given that we live in a culture that seems to be ever more story-based. You know, we we talk about living in a postmodern world where I think people, you know, raise questions about sort of truth claims and all this kind of stuff. And uh, sometimes in the church, I feel that we all we're doing is trying to fight story with propositions. Yeah. And there's a place for propositions. They matter. Yeah. Right. But actually, we've also got to show how the, the gospel story is a better story it's yeah. a better story of reality it's a better story to, to to live by could you maybe say something about that yeah i think we need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater with the yeah. oppositional left brain stuff as well i think we need to be more christ-like in our communication and what i yes. love about jesus is that he does both so well so jesus mm-hmm. is both propositional i am the way the truth and the life but yet then when he's communicating the love of the father he says there was a father who had two sons and he tells a story and I love that balance with Jesus. He's so mm. rich in metaphor and narrative, and yet at the same t- same time, so straight down the line with with truth and and proposition as well. And I think I think so often what we can do is we can default to Paul in the Book of Romans, who's very propositional. Um, but I think I think Christ as our narrative um, and our model and our posture as an evangelist is perhaps a bit more helpful. Hmm. That's that's so helpful. How would you actually go about kind of sharing that um, that narrative of Christ in everyday conversations? Because you talking about how do we live our own stories? How do we tell that story? What would, might that look like? So I think there's two stories that for me, there's a kind of no brainer that we need to have as our kind of baseline as every Christian. So I think one of the missions of the book and one of the missions when I do any training in evangelism is to help Christians have two baseline stories that they can communicate. And the first is the story of God. And so you'll have noticed, Christy, one of the chapter headings is around God's story. And so I, I did, tried. I did. I saw that. Yes. <laughs> so I tried to kind of cram and crush and squeeze the beautiful narrative of the 66 books of the Bible into a chapter and, and unpack that in a way that just tells, gives an overview of that beautiful narrative meta-narrative of the bible um so then i talk about the complete the the concept of simplexity that this story of god is the most simple concept in the world but also the most complex and we need to hold that intention as christians and so the first baseline thing we need to do is if someone says what's christianity all about we need to be able to tell a story and so i give i don't give a prescription as to how to do that i say you might tell the story of the prodigal son you might actually do kind of four spiritual laws god loves us we messed up. Jesus died for us. We need to make a decision. We might, you know, we, we, we might tell a story from our own life as to, as to how what that, as that which communicates the Christian faith. But we need to be able to do that. If someone says, says, what's Christianity about? And my experience is that most a lot of Christians can't do that. Second story we need to be able to tell is our own. So I think that our own stories, how God has impacted our lives, our own experience of faith, the way that knowing Jesus gives us a way of understanding the world real experience as to as to how knowing him makes a difference in our lives we need to be able to do do both of those things and i I tell i tell a story when i was when i was writing the book i was explaining it to a friend who's really mature christian been going to church for years and i said basically it's to be able to answer the question if someone said to you why are you a christian what would you say and he said to me did you know when you asked that the blood's drained from my face because i thought you were about to ask me and the book is for him because I just I feel there's so many of us as Christians who've never given thought to those two baseline stories. And yet if the world is going to be changed, if Britain's going to meet Jesus, 
it's going to be for ordinary people reaching their mates and uh, and most of us aren't equipped as we could be to tell that story that's a uh, that's so helpful um phil i think what i particularly like that story you told there of your your friend who asked you know the question you know when you said to him you know how would you answer the question why are you a christian yeah. you know one of the things i think i've noticed in my evangelism uh kind of training uh over the years i've you know like like you do evangelism and train others is that i think a lot of christians default to when they are asked that question why are you a christian they sort of just respond with the story of how they became one 30 years yeah, before right and um the problem is, I think, when someone says, why are you a Christian? Yeah. They both want to know why are you want today. Yeah. And then perhaps why are you want in the face of what's going on in the world today, you know, given where yeah. we are now, coronavirus, why are you a Christian when there's all this kind of global yeah. chaos? And so I think helping people as you're trying to do to see that big picture of what God is doing, connect it with your story, but then bring it up to date. What is Jesus doing yeah. right here, right now? The difference that he makes is absolutely crucial. So this is really important stuff, I think. Yeah. And I, th- and I think it's for some of it, it's about the language. Language is really important. And, and for me, uh, you know, the, the example I think I use in the book around the exact point you've made there, Andy, is that if I talked, if someone said, what's your wife like? And I only told the story of our wedding day. That's how so many Christians talk about their own personal story of coming to faith. Very good. And, and so for me, I think I think just having the language to articulate things like, you know, when you're a Christian, you know, have it, knowing freedom and forgiveness and purpose and meaning and belonging. You know, when I talk to my friends who've got everything, seemingly in a world sense, I had a friend come to me recently and in just last November and he texted me and said, can we meet up? I'd not seen him in six years, but was a really good mate at uni, lived a life far from God. And he said, could we meet up? And uh, after the small talk, talking about football and stuff uh, over coffee, he said, uh, I really wanted to meet up with you, mate, because um, uh, I've beginning to, begun to wrestle with real questions of meaning and purpose and begun to think about what, what might happen to me when I die. And this guy has got everything, money, wife, kids, the lot but yet really wrestles with this question of meaning and purpose. And sometimes it's just about having the language. So when our non-Christian mates ask us, we were able to say, this is what knowing Jesus gives me. This is part of the story. Now let me introduce you to him. How do you think we could best use that right now in our current uh, cultural moment? You know, Andy mentioned earlier on, you know, coronavirus lockdown. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I've been in several supermarkets and at the moment we've gone from hashtag be kind to it's each man for themselves. So when those kind of towers of security and comfort come crumbling kind of down, as maybe it has for your friend, I don't know. How how do you think we can best connect kind of Christ to to the culture at the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I wonder whether on one level it's about being a really non-anxious presence. Mm-hmm. And I think about I think the, the example I think of is when the uh when the plane's going down, you look to the person who's the calmest in the situation. And I wonder whether for us as Christians, knowing a hope that outlives it all, knowing uh um a, a love and a faith that's more contagious than any virus, uh, knowing a security, standing on the rock of ages, um, all of that stuff has to mean something in these moments. There has to be, the, faith has to make a difference in these moments. Otherwise we may as well, may as well all pack up and go home. You know, I think, I think communicating that somehow to our friends in whatever interactions we have, I think sensible use of social media, wanting to be connected, dem- demonstrating love and compassion to the most vulnerable. So I, I don't know about you, but I've seen loads of Christians with just an, on our street putting notes through people's door saying, look, if you're vulnerable and self-isolating, we'd love to help you and serve you in this time. Um, I think that stuff in the midst of panic and fear 
um, is, is really compelling and can tell a different story. I think you're absolutely right, uh, Phil. And I know um, a wee while ago you did um, an interview with one of my colleagues, Gavin, on the on the Solas website. And I was kind of rereading that in, in preparation for the, the podcast. And, and interesting on this very issue, you know, one thing that you said that it really intrigued me is that interview you talked about the fact that I think suffering is 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 an important topic for so many of us yeah. because it, expo- it exposes the fact that for many of us, yeah. uh, comfort has become a god. Yeah. And I think I, I remember reading that line just, just recently going, I think that's so true because I think one of the opportunities for Christians now, uh, given the living in a time, we say, with coronavirus, but when this passes, it'll be something else. Yeah. But more than any time I know, this, I think, is opening up that question of where people's comfort lies. You know, if your security is in your job and your job's in question, if your security is in your investment portfolio and the, the markets are down 50%, if your security is in your health yeah. and you suddenly realize, I've got a dry cough in the morning, is yeah. this the one? I think that exposes all kinds of opportunities. And I guess for Christians, the question is how we how we make the best the best use of that. And I know you talk a lot about you know peer-to-peer evangelism yeah. is something you're passionate about. How do how do Christians perhaps go about using this this cultural moment to start those conversations, but not doing so in a crass way? You know, not, not walking up to our neighbor and going, Hey, you might be dead next week. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. Jesus. Probably not the way to do it. Yeah. But what are some ways that we could be doing it? So with, with specific respect to kind of telling our story, I was, there's two things that I talk about in the book that I found really helpful in my own personal evangelism over the years. Um, and the first is that our story is both reactive and proactive. So my hope is and my experience has been over the years that when we live differently, when people see something distinctive with us, um, they will often ask like what why why and so i tell him the story telling the book a story about when i was a 13 year old on a bus and as you can imagine 13 year olds boys on buses on the way back from law boys school often talked about sex and often the, and the question came back to me phil what do you think i think it was one of my mates saying you know which which one of these girls do you think i should sleep with first and i you know i, I was 13 i didn't have a clue about girls let alone gun sex and but i but i i kind of said I said, well, mate, I, uh, you know, I, I believe you need to wait till you're married to have sex. They were like, whoa, whoa, it's like 1999, granddad. You know, it, that kind of, it all just kind of kicked off. And, uh, but that, that was the way in was, the way into the first, my first conversation with those friends about Jesus. And eight years later, one of those lads on that bus was a guy called Ads, and he became a Christian. But the start of that conversation was that moment where they ask you about a different lifestyle. Second thing about your story is it's proactive. So there come moments in conversations where our story should be so well known for us that we're able to say, can I tell you my story? That it's a, some, there's a question, something around meaning and purpose, like with my coffee with my friend the other day, and you just get the chance to say, can I just tell you my story? And then you're able to, you're able to kind of tell that story you know, for people. And then the second area that I, I think is critical in, in sharing faith is, is not just being a great talker, but a great listener. I found I love the way Jesus just asks great questions. And, and the better we get to know people, the more connection points we find between our lives and the other person's life. And so let me just continue the Adam story. So that first encounter on the bus when we were 13 then led to just getting to know him throughout our teenage years. But noticing in him that, first of all, he's the most fun person to be around. He just loves life and life's exciting when you're around him. He's amazing. He still is. Um, but the second thing is that pursuit of fun for him during his teenage years led him to want to really uh, let him down paths of drugs and drink and all that kind of stuff. 
And so then he felt he needed to be forgiven for those things. So as, he, as his mate, I found connection points between God's story that he might have life in all its fullness, but also that he might be forgiven and no forgiveness for the stuff he'd done wrong. And for him in his story, when he eventually became a Christian at 21, those two connection points were really critical. That's so that's so helpful. Thank you so, so much, Phil. I am um, just taking this slightly differently. I'm asking this question really for myself. I um, <laughs> I noticed you said earlier that thinking about now you know wanting these connection points and how social media for example is a great way for us to do that and you mentioned having a sensible use of social media now I did I did more than just kind of scroll through the uh, chapter headings of your book I also saw towards (laughs) the end um, you're talking about tech and distractions and there's this wonderful you've rewritten part of Psalm 23 haven't you yeah and you've put something like um, my phone is my shepherd I shall not disconnect how? Would, you, would you like it? I can I can read it for you if you like. Oh yeah, go for it. It was great. It? Go for okay. it. Are you ready? Yeah. My phone is my shepherd. I shall not disconnect. It makes me lie down in fields of distraction. It leads me beside noisy, colourful waterfalls of pixels. It clutters mm. my soul. It guides me along paths of likes and shares for my own ego's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley of no Wi-Fi, I will fear no signal for your 4G and offline features. They comfort me. You prepare a notification for me in the presence of my followers. You anoint my thumbs with apps. My cloud storage overflows. Surely your updates and new features will follow me all the days of my life and you will dwell in the palm of my hand forever. <laughs> oh my. Wow. Isn't that great? That's, that's so subversive, Phil. Now, I spent on Saturday, a couple of days ago, about nine hours on Zoom on this international conference, which was <laughs> Amazing, I have to say. But how how can we use tech, particularly now when everyone's talking about it? You know, we're in our homes, many are self-isolating. How yeah. do we use it in such a way that it doesn't become the be-all and the end-all and we're not minimizing God to the palm of our hands, as you mentioned there? Yeah, I, uh, I think possibly the rules go out the window <laughs> during coronavirus. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my screen reports from Apple have gone through the roof in the last week. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think there's a difference between our, between satisfying our craving for connection with people and relationship and becoming addicted to our own spirit of comparison um, and getting our sense of identity from it. So I think there's nothing to some extent there's nothing wrong with just wanting to be connected with people and having lots of Zoom calls with family, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's okay. I think where where we get into trouble is when we when social media becomes more important than than real life connection uh, as i said the, the the all bets are off during coronavirus because it's better to have mm. so, uh, uh, virtual connection. um but i think so for me i think we, i've basically put in my life a few rules uh, so we you know, as a family the phone is not no phones are allowed out at the dinner table including my seven-year-old fireman sam plastic one um, we, it, for us as, 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 a, as a couple, we our mobile phones charge downstairs um, because we don't we don't have any kind of phones in the bedroom. Um, we just have a few kind of rules really where where we, um, we try and kind of adhere to as a family. And, and for me, I need those boundaries to give me a healthy relationship with tech. Hmm. I think those kind of boundaries are, uh, are helpful, but also I love the, the the point that you made there about about given where we are as we're recording this during coronavirus i think that question is how i guess we use technology and these things to bring us together i heard somebody say the other day i forget who first came up with this i can't take credit for it but i've been sharing this phrase with lots of folks actually and you found it as an evangelistic opener actually with with non-christian friends and neighbors to say that look rather than talk about social isolation 
in these days. Why don't we talk about physical uh, physical isolation, physical separation? Yeah, great. Um, because the, the media is using the social separation phrase, yeah. but we don't want we, we, we want to be socially connected, mm. even while two meters apart. Yeah. And tech can help, but there are other ways too. And I think evangelistically now. There are lots of opportunities around how, as Christians, can we actually lean in yeah. and be perhaps more, perhaps more proactive than we've ever been yeah. uh, with neighbours and friends and perhaps family members we haven't talked to in a while, even while recognising we may have to use tech to do that. But yeah. actually, nothing still stops you knocking on the, the next door neighbour you haven't knocked on in a year and gone, is everything okay? You know, if you hit any problems, how can we help and uh, and see what happens? Yeah, it's great. Phil, this has been um, an absolute pleasure. We've covered so many things. We could have gone down so many trails of this conversation, especially with Christy introducing technology on the end, because that's a, a whole other <laughs> no subject. No curveball there. Thanks. Um, <laughs> no curveball there. But uh, but for listeners, Phil's uh, book, Story Bearer, How to Share Your, Fre- your Faith uh, with Your Friends, is available uh, now uh, with IVP and uh, just uh, just out very recently. So, uh, Phil, wish you all the very best with that book. It deserves to do really, really well. Thanks, guys. Do, uh, do check. Uh, do check it out wherever wherever books are sold and if you're desperate you can always use amazon and uh, i hope it will give uh, listeners lots of resources uh, to think about how they can use their story and how it intersects with jesus's story uh, to connect with their friends and neighbors story phil once again thank you thanks and uh, christy we'll be back in uh, uh, two weeks time with another guest yeah we will so uh stay tuned and uh, stay safe and we'll be back soon on another episode of pep talk thanks for listening I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism podcast. This is a listener-supported podcast. We can only make it with the support of our friends uh, across the country and around the world. And if you'd like to be a part of that community, simply visit the website, thepeptalkpodcast.com, and click on the Support the Podcast button. If you sign up to support uh, Solas and the podcast for as little as £3 a month, as a thank you, uh, we will send you a free copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or if you prefer, Christie's book, More Truth as a thank you and through your support we can keep making more podcasts like this one